episode 19 of the Winner's Circle Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Horth. For today's episode, we have Chris Persani joining us. Chris is now a salesperson with the Pittard Training Group. Uh, up until recently, was the principal of Johnson Real Estate at Winner Manly in Southeast Queensland. Chris and I are gonna sit down and discuss common objections you as members of the Winner's Circle are facing in your new market. We're gonna run through some role plays of these objections and break them down for you. It's a great training episode um, for you today. Really hope you enjoy it. Well, Chris, episode 19, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolute, absolute pleasure. We're both sitting here. Um, I'm getting over COVID, you're getting over the flu. So, yeah, uh, and COVID about a month before that. Right, so, so the, uh, if we sound a bit <coughs> worse for wear on this on this podcast, please uh, please forgive us in advance, audience. Um, but Chris, I, I just thought we'd kick off by giving giving our members a bit of a rundown of of who you are what's what's your history been in the group and 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 the role you're in the role you're in now sure sure well um yeah i started back in 2005 yes um i I suppose you'd say i'm a product of this system came through the hiring uh, which was a, a long hiring back then it was i don't know how many hoops you had to jump through to get there but it was a long time previously to that i was a chef for 22 years and had my own restaurant which I'd sold and was just looking for something different and luckily enough uh, Janelle stumbled across Trimmy's ad. Yes, yep. So Janelle, your wife, my stumbled wife, across yes, the yes. ad. Yes, And um, she, you know, it caught my intrigue because I was always interested in real estate but didn't particularly like real estate agents. Uh, you didn't like chefs either though from what I that's understand. That's right, yes, yes. It was early in my career when I was presenting it was always a good icebreaker to say there's two types of people I never particularly like one was chefs and the other's real estate agents and I've been both so it's always got people laughing but um yeah it was just you know the ethics side of it attracted me and the the system itself was what really attracted me and helped me from coming from no sales background to having a bit of passion about what I did mm-hmm. um which really helped me sort of at the beginning I think just real belief in the system yes uh, made it easy to sell yeah so yes I started with with Trimmy in 2005 uh, salesperson for four years and then opened our our first or second office yes the the first the first uh, the first of our (coughs) expansion is uh, under the Johnson banner yes that was in in Winter Manly in 2009 which I've just handed the reins over to that to Gareth Myers uh, on the first of this month just a couple of weeks ago now yes and and now moving into a role with uh, Pittard trying to you know find some new offices and help help them with the success that we've had yeah fantastic so that yeah, the success um, all of our all of our offices have had across the country with the Pitad Group. You're you're sort of um, the person who reaches out to to new potential. So essentially, it's a it's a it's a prospecting and a listing role. Is yeah, that yeah, yeah. definitely yeah, yeah. talking to to um, leaders of offices now and, and trying to you know get them along to a to a seminar and yeah. And, how um, are you finding how are you finding those conversations? Yeah, re- really different. It's different to speaking to home sellers. Um, most most of them are salespeople. They want to talk about real estate. So, yeah, it's a totally different conversation. Some of them a little bit sort of cut off, but um, yeah, no, it's been 
been uh, a pleasant change. And what's uh, what's <coughs> the the consensus? In because to, to a degree, you're you're in typical real estate land. You're, you're talking to to, to a, um, leaders or officers that that haven't yet joined the system. How how are uh, What's the front that's been given about the market in general from from these leaders you're speaking with? Oh, look, everyone's aware what's going on. Like that, you know, that the the boom's over. Probably a few country offices in New South Wales that I've spoken to are still seem to be kicking along pretty well. Yes, but uh, yeah, everyone sort of can see the boom's gone. It's it's. I find it really interesting. I mean, in in southeast Queensland, I know other other parts of the country have experienced really um, strong sellers markets at various times over the last 12, 13 years. Yet, if we talk specifically southeast Queensland, where you and I both operated our our real estate agencies, um, if you if you look at the two of them in two thousand and nine, when the market took off and we're in that sellers market, there wasn't this knowledge that, hey, the market's really good. And then when it stopped, hey, the market's turned. Yet yet this time around, your average home seller and buyer seemed to be vastly more market aware of, of what was going on. Did you, would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. There, there's so much more information out there for, for just the average person owning a home. Yes. Uh, you know, the conversations we were having, you know, when it was starting to turn, there was so much evidence out there and not not evidence but media talk and, and things like that so much more on the internet that they can research yes as it been with prices as well like you know when you're presenting price people you know sellers are a lot better educated now than they've ever been yes you know back when I first started it was very much um, there was a lot more price shock yeah because yeah, they were looking in the paper and seeing what a house was listed for you know, yep. three months ago and sometimes you didn't even know that you'd walk in and start going through comparisons and that was that was the first gauge of, of anything that some yeah. sellers had on the market they were completely genuinely back then they some people were genuinely oblivious to yeah. to what their house was worth yeah, if ever you delivered price and they went oh okay is that <laughs> you knew you'd bugger it up so, <laughs> Big so, time. so it was where, where these days you know especially with the, the rising you know often it was like oh really that that much and mm. and, and and it was genuinely that much so yes and that's, I, I think as well, you talk about the rising, you know, we were talking off, off microphone before we started, um, but the average price, you know, has gone up so dramatically across the country. There's so much more at stake and there's so much more individual wealth in property that people seem to pay attention a lot more so they understand their financial position. It's now not $90,000 worth of equity in the home, it's $900,000 yeah. worth of equity. Yeah. And, and that, that has people pay attention in a, in a different way. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's interesting, in, in today's episode, what we're doing for our listeners, and we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to the main topic shortly of overcoming objections, but Chris and I, I'm going to tell you it's, it was four or five years ago, we just did a little internal training session for our, for our immediate team members at the time where you and I sort of role played some, some common objections we were getting uh, from the market at the time. And we thought it might be a good opportunity to, to bring that back. Yet, I'm interested to see, and we, we haven't really rehearsed this before going into it today. We're just we're just going in and, and going to um, going to start discussing. But that layer that you say of, of education that now exists over the market, I think that in itself has evolved how you're handling objections and the type of objections that that we are receiving as agents. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, excellent. Before we get into that though. Um, <coughs> 
Let's kick off with our with our field challenge. I was speaking just yesterday with, with Adam McMahon from Dignam Real Estate, and although this whole episode is going to be around objections, uh, this is this is one that he said that he and, and he knows a lot of a lot of other members in in the the winner circle are facing. So it might just be worth spending a little bit of time on and nutting it down. And and that's what he's saying. And, and Adam McMahon, you know, a bit of history on Adam. He was our our system's first diamond badger, yeah. so our first mm. million dollar producer. Now the leader. Of, of his own agency. One of his, his salespeople has just made the, uh, and we'll talk about it later in the results, but the top 20 for the quarter in terms of in terms of both sides and dollars. Yep. So certainly now producing quality salespeople as well. Um, so no mug is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yes. Yet he's still finding, d- delivering a really good cementing of the sale, spending a lot of time talking to sellers about early offers. But then when that offer is being presented, that first weekend within the first five or six days, getting hit with that, ah, it's early in the campaign though, yep. Let, let's see how it goes. So so let's let's talk about that a bit, Chris, and how, how you might deal with that sort of objection with a seller. Yeah, well, we, we did a fair bit of work on this in my office just before we finished with the turn of the market with cementing of the sale. And probably the biggest thing we, we came up with, because you can tell people, like we do a listing presentation to, to somebody and you expect them to, to know everything. Know everything. Yes. Uh, and you know, I always relate it to how long it takes to train somebody to present the listing presentation. It takes you know weeks and months and hours of study to, to perfect it. We present it to a seller once, and they you expect them to. Oh, I've told them that. <laughs> um, the cementing of the sale is the same. You got to keep going over it mm-hmm. and, and keep reinforcing where you're at with it along the way. And that was probably the biggest thing we. We spoke about as a team was to make sure that um, you keep recapping those important points, you yes. know, like an early offer. Yes. You know, and, and, and especially sowing the seed um, more so. So have you got that objection there to, to take them into um, just so they're not shocked or, you know, want to sit back and wait? Mm-hmm. I find also when, when dealing with those sellers, especially, and you don't always know when an early offer's coming. Sometimes you've got a good sense that at the moment, this style of property at this price point, even though that it, it has shifted into a buyer's market or a balanced market, there are, there are a particular type of property that'll always perform well. But sometimes it catches you unawares. And so I, I think therefore, You've got to be really deliberate in your process so you don't get caught out by by sort of that that black swan, if you will, um, that black swan listing. So I I think it's also essential if to have a seller, for them to accept an early offer, they've got to to believe that that is a good reflection of the market. And one of the ways to do that early in the process is to give them a lot of feedback early. Yeah. So things like your team inspection, having the team come through and giving that that layer of feedback, the the early interest, or like your your online response, maybe your hard buy search, these sort of elements that you can put in to start layering on that feedback yeah. quickly. Yeah, and I think when you're cementing your sales, just to say, um, Adam, how are you going to feel if I'm sitting here tonight with an offer? Yes. Yeah, that hypothetical scenario. Yeah. Put them in that time yeah. machine. So, oh, well, that'll be too soon. You know, then th- that's something to talk about. Yes. Okay. Why? Why is that too soon? You know, t- talk them into like, what if that offer was in the middle of my range? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's more bigger than that. Okay. Well, just have a think about. It. I don't want to know what you're going to take, but just running a few scenarios past them in in your cementing of the sale and keep recapping on it and, yes. and letting them be aware of it. Those hypothetical scenarios, Chris, I've always found. 
are, are really good to do when you don't have an offer in front of someone. Yes. When, when you've got an offer in front of them, yeah. they're going, oh, you're just trying to get me to accept the offer. That, that's it's exactly right. Yeah, whereas if you if you say, what would you do in this case? And what would you do? And then have them feel and appreciate and understand and, and take them through. And when you're taking them through those emotions and those scenarios, when it is low risk, when there's nothing at stake, that, that, that allows them freedom to think mm. and freedom to feel. Whereas when there's something at stake and they've got that fear, what's the safest thing to say when, when, saying, when you're fearful of something? No. Yeah. That's, and no is safety. And yeah. so that's why doing these scenarios beforehand can, can be of, of help. I did the, the exact same thing to Janelle and my wife. Yes. Uh, the night before we had our first inspection and put the house in the market and Jeff was selling. So this product. was a couple of years ago you were yes. selling, correct? Yeah. Yes. And I, I'd said to her, what would you do if this buyer tomorrow offers us this? Yes. <laughs> As you, oh, I wouldn't take that. And, I'm like, and that was the price I thought it was going to sell for. And, and I said, why not? Like, and she said, oh, it, you know, I want to get... And again, it was just his, you know, she knows real estate, she, but a seller, like, the, you've got to take him through that scenario. Absolutely. Strangely enough, Jeff came in with the exact <laughs> price the next the day. The next day. So, and what did she do? Did she take it? No. 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 <laughs> oh, well, she kept her we word. Got a, we, got, we got a little bit more, so. Right, fantastic. But, uh, but I, I think she would have taken, I would have taken it anyway, so. Yeah. But, we, but in that scenario that you say, do you feel having that discussion with her 24 hours prior running through that hypothetical that aided in in the conversations that followed the next day yeah 100 like yeah in what way give us an well example. it just gets you thinking about you know well what would i do mm-hmm. and, and one thing i've always said to all my clients in submitting the sales just look, i don't want to know what you're going to do now i'm not looking for your bottom dollar i just want to want you to think about in this situation because i've seen so many people regret missing an early offer yes and you know, two months down the track, they're on the market for less than what they, yeah, they had. So, just getting them to really think it through, not trying to get an answer out of them. So you know, if they're going, oh no, we want to, no, 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 I don't want to know that. Just, just think about it. Yeah, think about you know how how you would be if I'm sitting here with this. And what you're doing there as well, Chris, is you're actually walking that tightrope of, of developing both that effective trust, but also when, when you're saying something like, I don't want to know what your bottom dollar is, I just don't want to see this scenario happen to you, that's reinforcing that cognitive trust yeah. with them as well. And, and that, that's vitally important when it comes down to the acceptance of the offer. Because if someone says to you, like in, in Adam's scenario, that you know we just want to see what happens, they're not rejecting you. They're not saying, no, you're, you're not the problem. Yeah. It's just we, we need more time. Whereas to a degree, they, what they, they are rejecting is, is your advice that you're giving them, which is a failing of cognitive yeah. trust. And if it's not an early, I don't know if this situation was an early offer, but um, if it's something that's further down the track, that's where your evidence has got to be yeah. you know, spot on, like yeah. all your feedback, um, you know, all your stats, things like that, so that you can sort of say, look, based on what we're looking at here, yes. you know, there might be a slight chance you could get a better offer next time, but mm. based on the odds, it's it's probably, it's probably gonna be less. And that's, um, in, in this particular case that we're talking about, Adam was more referring to those early offers early that offer. first yeah. weekend, that sort of thing. And I think there, and, and we'll move on it from, from here, we'll just round out some few points, but when, you, when you've got the evidence over a 30, 60, 90 day campaign, it is a very different conversation than when you've got a a three, four or five day old campaign. And so what I believe you've got to inject into that 
is evidence from previous campaigns that you've done on other properties. Yeah. And, and it's not, you can't always say because this happened on this house, it will definitely happen on yours. But if you can provide two or three examples where here's a seller that rejected this offer yep. and ended up selling for this much less and you've got a bit of a pattern there, hmm. I think you can, then, you can then make the case that statistically speaking, as you said, the odds are it might be less ne next time around and just talking them through through that as well. Yeah. Gathering your stories. It's important. Yeah, nothing, nothing changes there. So, um, Adam, as I said, mate, I, I, I hope that that covers off for yourself and, and anyone who's sort of um, who's sort of struggling with those those early offers, which which are you know no matter what stage of your career you're at, they are always one of those those commonplace objections that you've just got to be geared up and ready for. And as I said, I think having those processes and those deliberate things in place every time you list a property that you do, even if it is three or four or five days in, they've got ample feedback on their particular property yep. to work with as well. Mm. Yep, excellent. All right, let's take some time to have a look at the results for the month that was June 2022. And starting off, let's have a look at our top salesperson in terms of sides. And number three for the month, Joshua Schweitzer from Johnson Real Estate Ipswich, led by myself, Adam Horth. Joshua did 21 unconditional sides for the month of June. Great work, mate. In the number two position, Leanne Harris from Page and Pierce up in Townsville, led by Todd Pierce. Congratulations, Leanne. 26 sides for June. Fantastic result. And in the number one spot, we've got Luke Kunos from Hudson Bond in Doncaster, led by Paul Kunos. And Luke, an impressive month, taking out the number one spot with 28 sides unconditional for the month. Fantastic work there, Luke. Well done. In terms of salesperson of the month, um, with respect to dollars, in the number three position, we've got David Bishop, also from Page and Pierce in Townsville, led by Todd Pierce. David, congratulations, $136,286 unconditional for the month. Great stuff. The number two position, again, Joshua Schweitzer from Johnson Real Estate in Ipswich. Joshua did 151,170 unconditional for the month. A great month. But taking out also the number one spot in terms of dollars, again, we've got Luke Kunos from Hudson Bond Real Estate in Doncaster. Luke did an incredible $376,636 for the month of June. Fantastic work there, Luke. If we have a look at our BDMs in our number three spot, Emily Smart from Hudson Bond in Doncaster, led by Paul Kunos. Congratulations, Emily. 13 new managements brought in for the month. And tying her in third position is also Kelly Gray from Dickens Real Estate. Kelly and her husband, Gerard, own that office. And Kelly also brought in 13 managements for the month. Well done, Kelly, and well done, Emily. In the number two position, we've got Monique Inglis from Ironbridge Real Estate, led by Adam Smith. Monique, congratulations, 14 new managements in June. Very well done. And in the number one position, Hudson Pierce from Page and Pierce in Townsville, led by Todd and Sue Pierce. Hudson, congratulations, mate. 27 new managements brought in for the month of June. An outstanding effort there, mate. Very well done to you. 
and having a look at our prospectors for the month. We just want to give a shout out to number two, Roy Atwee. Roy brought in a total of six new listings for his team and Roy works with Steve Mashevsky at HT Wills Real Estate and Helena Waite, also from Page and Pierce in Townsville led by Todd and Sue Pierce. Helena, congratulations to you. 15 listings created for your team for the month of June. An outstanding effort there, Helena. Very, very well done to you. And as June was also the last month of the June quarter, let's take a quick moment to acknowledge those fantastic results that we had from our salespeople for the actual full quarter of June. And so the number three position for the entire June quarter goes again to Luke Kunos from Hudson Bond in Doncaster, led by Paul Kunos. Luke did a total of 44 unconditional sides for the quarter. Great work there, Luke. Jane Finlay, Page and Pierce Real Estate in Townsville, led by Todd Pierce. Jane, congratulations, 46 unconditional sides for you for the quarter. Great job. Yet in the number one position for the quarter in terms of sides, Joshua Schweitzer, Johnson Real Estate at Ipswich, led by myself. Josh, congratulations, mate. 60 unconditional sides for the June quarter 2022. Fantastic work, mate. We also just want to give three acknowledgements to three members of the Winner's Circle for their first time appearing in the top 20 for the, uh, for the quarter in terms of sides. In the number five position, we had Ethan Hennessy from Dignam Real Estate, led by Adam McMahon. Ethan did an awesome 40 sides for the quarter. We've got Isabeau Davidson with 28 sides. Isabeau works for Terry Robertson at Peter Lee's Real Estate in Launceston and Isabeau came in at the number 13 spot. And his teammate Jamie Beaton, also from Peter Lee's Real Estate led by Terry Robertson, Jamie came in at the number 17 position with an awesome 26 sides for the June quarter. Congratulations to the three of you as well and welcome to the top 20. And lastly, we just want to acknowledge the top 20 in terms of dollars for the June quarter 2022. In the number three position, some similar names here. Ethan Hennessy, Dignam Real Estate, led by Adam McMahon. Ethan, congratulations, mate. Not only the number three position, but it's your first time in the top 20 in terms of dollars generated for a total of $391,112. Congratulations to you, Ethan. The number two spot goes to Joshua Schweitzer from Johnson Real Estate in Ipswich, led by myself. Joshua, congratulations, mate. 414831 unconditional dollars for the June quarter. Well done. Yet in the number one spot, Luke Kunos. Congratulations, Luke. From Hudson Bond Real Estate, led by Paul Kunos. An impressive $533,086 written for the June quarter. Very well done to you, Luke. Congratulations. We'll also give a special shout out to Ben Hayward from Tidbolt Real Estate, led by Dave Tidbolt. Ben, congratulations, mate. The number 10 position, your first time in the quarter's top 20 for, for dollars written for a total of $259,206. Congratulations, Ben. That's a great quarter, mate. In the number 20 position, just sneaking into that top 20, but we'll take it anyway, Eamon Edgar. Eamon, congratulations, mate. Johnson Real Estate Forest Lake, led by Peter Tran, with an impressive $210,423. Well done, Eamon, congratulations, and welcome also to you to the top 20. And congratulations, as always, to everyone on a fantastic June and a fantastic June quarter.
Well, Chris, um, as we said, th this episode, we're going to cover some objections off. We're going to do some role plays. We're going to break some things down to, to sort of, you know, I guess, as always with this this podcast is to aid our audience in, in getting results in their market. So with the, uh, with the objections we're going to go through, We've got it in, in some sort of chronological order here. We're going to cover some objections on prospecting, some on, on pricing during the listing presentation, some objections you might get with buyers around, around their resistance to making an offer or the type of offers that they get. Yeah. And we're also going to talk about those acceptance of offers. So, so building on that conversation we had earlier in the episode about, uh, about those, those early, early offers. It really is that, that acceptance of offers that, that we're finding or, or that gap between where sellers are and where buyers are in this market. And we've got to understand our job as real estate agents is, is to bridge that gap. Yep. I mean, that, that's why we exist. Yeah, that's right. yeah. and a lot, a lot of agents last year didn't have to bridge that gap. They, yeah. their, their duties were more around ensuring the highest price was achieved. Don't get me wrong, there was a, a different skill set applied, but in this market, we've got to understand that's what we're doing. It's we've got to go out and get the highest price, and then we've got to get the seller's belief and acceptance in, in that price. Well, let's start with let's start with this first one about around prospecting. So um, I'm just going to going to throw it at you, and we'll, we'll see where, where it takes us. So um, imagine you're calling me, and, and uh, you're doing some prospecting call, and I, I give you something along the lines of, "Look, we, we don't want to sell now, as as the media is, is now saying that the prices have fallen, so we've sort of missed our boat." Okay. So where where are you looking at going to? I mean, if if you if you did sell, let's say let's say the price was great. Now, where would you? Where we would, would have you? gone Sunshine Coast hinterland. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Um, so, so you'd rather sell when the prices have gone back up again. Is that yeah, I mean, for us, it, that probably what allowed us to get into that market when we could get a bit more out of it. We ended up with. You know more equity out of the house, which which allowed, helped our borrowing capacity. So to, to get ourselves into into that market, yeah, yeah. I suppose. Look, everyone was struggling over the last sort of eighteen months, two years, when the market was so big because they were, you know, they could sell pretty easy and sell at a great price, but they were struggling to buy something at the other end because everything was getting snapped up really quick. Yes, and that was um, one of the reasons, funnily enough, that we actually held off for, okay. for that very reason. So, so why wouldn't you do it now when you've got a bit more time? As, as I said, it's probably for us. We're a bit worried about if we can if we can actually now afford to do it because although the market seems to have cooled off here in those sort of regional areas, it does seem to be still going quite well. Prices don't seem to have come off the boil up there. So maybe if we wait, that that changeover comes a bit closer. Yeah, look, prices generally move much the same in different areas. It might be slightly different times, but. Um, if if they if it's cooled off here, it, um, I can guarantee it's going to cool off there pretty quick as well. Okay. So I mean, if it doesn't, maybe that gap will get bigger for you. Yeah. Okay. Put it even further out of reach. Yeah. So, um, you know, why wouldn't you do it sooner rather than later in case that gap does increase? So, Chris, as a, as a salesperson, what are you what are you trying to do there with those questions that you're asking? What are you trying to get out of me there? Probably just to get into like changeover costs, you yes. know, because it's, you know, a line we all, we used to use a lot with, with that was people, oh, I want to wait for the price to go up. Well, what to? You know, well, we'll get the 600, we'll sell. Okay, what do you think the price is going to do where you're looking at going to? Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to go up as well, so why don't you wait for the price to go up where you want to live, not where you don't want to live? Yes. So trying to find out that. Yeah. Um, to, to see, you know, A, do they, have they got somewhere in mind? Mm-hmm. 
And that, that's the thing there as well. We, we often talk about when you're getting a fee objection is you've got to turn a fee objection into a, into a net gain. That, that's what you've yeah. got to talk about. Is, and, and so what you're saying is there is when you've got someone giving you an affordability question, what you're trying to turn their focus towards is, is, is a focus on changeover rather than the final dollar that they get for their house because then that's the figure that you want to focus your conversation yep. around. Yep. Okay, all right, excellent. Do you, at what point do you decide this is a conversation to continue on the phone or this is a conversation to have face-to-face? What, what sort of trigger points or elements are you looking for in the conversation to, t- to evolve that conversation? I think if they've got a specific place in mind mm-hmm. and, they've been, and there's been a bit of, you know, they've been looking there for a while. Yes. Um, I'd probably try to get in the door yes. and, and have a chat face-to-face and sort of see if you can make it work for them. You know, so where do you want to live? You know, why are you wasting your time here? Mm-hmm. I, I remember learning that, I mean, geez, we're talking 20 years ago now when I, when I cut my teeth as a, as a home finder, but there was a, an old Winners Live CD back then, might have even been a tape actually 20 years ago, yeah, um, Cassie Stevens from Coronas. But she said a similar thing to what you were just saying there is, if they've got somewhere specific in mind and you dig a little bit deeper and they know a lot about that area, like, what they're going to do work-wise, where the kids are going to go to school. When they've got more and more answers to those questions, it really is a sign that they're serious about about that relocation. Yep. Yeah. Mm. So they're, they're, they're good, good clues to look at. Um, let, let's, let's look at a similar one there, Chris. Um, look, with, with all this talk of interest rate rises, maybe, maybe now's not a, not a good time for us to be putting it on the market. Wait till things in the media settle down a bit. Again, where, where, where are you looking at going to? Like, look, what's your plan? It's like a wave the magic wand. Where would you move? Where would you move? So, again, you're trying to take my focus off, off what's happening in the media yep. and put it back on what I'm doing as, as the individual. Yep. yep. Like changeover. It all comes down to changeover. No matter the market's good, bad, it's, it, you know, you keep your changeover in, in, in check. It, it's going to yep. work out work out fine you know what the media is saying what interest rates are doing is irrelevant unless it, you know the interest they're on the brink of being able to afford um their repayments where they are now yes you know then maybe it's the best thing from the stay yeah one of the things i find as well with an objection like that with all this talk of interest rates maybe <coughs> now's not a good time to sell that makes me think of doubt so, so when, I, when I've got a seller or a prospect or anyone that's, that, that's showing elements of doubt, I, I know when we talk about this in winning ways, you overcome doubt with proof. And so when, when, a, when a prospect is talking to you about interest rate, maybe now's not a good time. When someone's saying to you, now's not a good time, they're talking about there's less buyers around. And so what you've got to do is you've got to prove your case as the salesperson that there are still buyers around, that sellers are, are, are happening. So talking about specific inquiry levels you, you're having in your office compared to what you were having, yep. specific sales. Though, though that sort of evidence that we spoke about earlier is great with overcoming that, that doubt that, that sometimes is a seed that, that is sown in, in sellers' minds. Yep. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, um, this this is an interesting one for you. Look, um, look, you can come and see me. I'm I'm fine for you to come out, but but my husband or, or my wife, you know, they, they don't actually want to sell. So I do, but they they really don't. Why don't you come out, give me an appraisal, and I'll let them know the number, and then I can see if I can talk them into it. Okay. So if I come out and the number was good, would you sell? Well, I would. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know if my husband or wife would. I'd have to, I'd have to talk to them about it. Right. 
again, you don't want to be wasting your time when somebody is not doing something. You come across that so often where you've got one party said they move, but the other party won't, and more more than likely they never do move. Yes. So I'd probably do a win over and just not, just be mindful of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you thought it was because I mean, oh, you don't want to be meeting one party to start with. Yes. So you, you'd prob- I'd probably be trying to set up an appointment, test it out. Look, can I meet with both of you just to... Pop out 15, yeah. 20 minutes, have a look at the house, get a better understanding. Yeah. We saw this a lot during the 2019... Sorry, 2020 and 2021 seller's market. And and you, you aired on it just before in that first that first objection, Chris, where people were like, oh, we'd sell, but we can't. We don't know what we'd buy. Yeah. The and and you often do. You get these these objections that are thrown up at you. That sometimes you've you've got to take a step back and go, well, is this actually an objection, or is that just a reason for them for them not to do it? Yeah. And I think again, we were talking about this just before, but a lot of salespeople believe their job when they're prospecting is to talk people into selling and why they should sell. Yep. And that's 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 not our job, is it? No, definitely not. What it's are the, we trying to do? Well, we're trying to find somebody that needs to sell. Yes. Wants to sell, wants to move. Yes. You know, because if you, you know, chasing around for that perfect, you know, like trying to create the perfect scenario for someone, it's, you're just wasting your time. Yeah. Um, there's enough people out there that are selling, they're the ones we're going to find. Yes. And when you say you're wasting your time, it just as importantly, you're wasting your energy. And when you're putting your time and your energy and effort into non-sellers, yeah. that's time, energy and effort taken away from prospecting for actual sellers. Yes, 100%. And, and, you know, like the biggest thing with my team over the years is always, you know, if they've been out to a win over and they're any more than half an hour, it's like, you know, why? Like what's, you know, because they're just spending too much time not looking for somebody that is selling. Yes, that's right. And you've got to, you've got to be paranoid about your time in this market you've got to you know you've you've got to give people time and courtesy but you've got to be a good enough qualifier that the people you are giving that time and courtesy to are worth are worth that that time that's right and you've got to make a good impression and be there for them when they are ready whether that's you know next year or five years down the track yes uh, and and stay in touch with them but yeah again we we need to be in front of those immediates more than the, the ones that are just you know, want someone to talk to. That's right. Mm. Yeah, and and this is the thing. Sometimes people only do a low amount of prospecting, and and they create one or two low chance opportunities out of that prospecting, and they focus on that. Whereas you're going out, and you're doing much larger numbers of prospecting. That in itself is going to create more opportunities for you. And when you've got more opportunities. It's, it's self-perpetuating because yeah. you've then got more listings, you've got more sales, more people want to deal with you. So, But it starts with and that prospect. And you're not chasing that 100 to 1 shot. That's exactly right. No, I think um, I think that's that's an important thing there. When, when, when you're sort of prospecting, that, that's really important when you are getting those objections. You've got you've to really try and isolate that objection. Is, that, is it really just the husband or the wife's in this particular case? It is, is it their reluctance or is that one in a long line of, of yep. objections that are just going to be thrown up. Yep. And again, just exploring the doubt mm-hmm. with those people. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So, all right, let's let's talk pricing. Okay, let's have a look at let's have a look at um at delivering the price. And, and in the, the latest version of Winning Ways, we, we speak about um, the concept of the range objection. Yep. So the range objection 
you're gonna see a lot in this market, Chris, where you give your evidence, you ask them if, if those comparables, they, they feel are good comparisons yep. for their home. And then based on that, we can see that your property is likely to sell hypothetically between 900,000 and $1 million. You know, is that is that more or, or less than, than you were hoping for? Mm. Oh, it's a lot less. It's a lot less, mm. okay, it's a lot less, so all right. Now, it's, it's in that question though, and it's in the answering of that question. So when someone says that the range is less than what they were hoping, that's fine. Mm. In fact, you said it before, back, back years ago, when you had someone say to you, oh, that's a great amount of money, you know you'd stuffed it up. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas now what you've got to be mindful of is that you don't go from there and start overpricing your own listings. Yeah. Because with the range objection, it's important to first understand, are they simply disappointed with the range? Because if someone's disappointed, they, they're accepting of it. Yeah. Or do they out and out disagree with it? Yeah. Oh, it's much less than we thought. In fact, it's, you know, you're off your rocker. Mm. That's someone who disagrees with it. But, oh, geez. It's a bit less, you know, but I, you know, if, if that's what the evidence says and they're a bit more... Yeah, they're agreeing on it, so... Yeah, yeah. and it's with the person that doesn't agree with it, it's probably definable. Where did you think it was sitting out there, Adam? Yep, yeah. and just getting getting that, that more yeah. feedback. You know, how did you come up with that price? Yep. Yeah. You know, try to find out, you know, uh, did you miss something? Mm-hmm. You know, was there, was there a house that sold nearby that you didn't, didn't see? So if there is some evidence, and, and I always talk about it with with the seller in that case is, you know, look, this evidence, buyers are gonna see this evidence. Mm-hmm. So when we're bringing buyers around, if we're priced well above what everything else is selling, it's hard for, for us to, when they're saying, well, how did you come up with the price of this? Mm-hmm. Whereas if there's, um, you know, the, the price is, is closer to all, all the it's comparisons. It's reflective of the market. Yeah, we can yes. sort of say, see that one up the road, it just sold for, for, for the same price that these guys are asking mm-hmm. and, it, and it helps us to, to get it sold. So this taking them into the future of where we're at with that. Yes, yeah. I mean, just, just yesterday on the day that we're recording this, I, I can, re- you know, Josh was renegotiating a, a contract that, that, you know, the, the property didn't perform well in the building and pest inspection. Now, the, the buyer has bought it to renovate, there's no doubt, but what Josh focused on yesterday with his conversation was giving examples of that house renovated yep. and what they were selling for. And so being able to show the buyer that there is good value at, at this price because you can turn it into this yep. price. And, and that's what you're saying there is there's no escaping that evidence with, with the buyers. Yep, so I, I might just, I might take a quick detour there um, and share a story that, that um, about yourself and, and you might, and I'm doing this unprompted, so, but you'll, you'll go with me quickly on it, I'm sure. Do you remember early in your sales career, you, you went to uh, that, that particular listing and we used to call it in Birkdale, the four streets. It was in one of the cul-de-sacs. And you made a point just then, like, have you missed something? And the sellers mentioned to you about a property that had sold in their very street, but outside of your sort of six months that you'd looked at. Does, does that ring any bells to you? It doesn't, sorry. It does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well. It must be old age, keep that, it in. So. It, it might be, it might be, but <coughs> we'll uh, allow me to to expand on that again because I think that's an interesting conversation in and of itself but we as salespeople we get used to looking okay I'm going to jump on RP data or price finder or the sold section of real estate.com domain whatever and we start looking in that particular suburb in that particular price range and and sometimes unintentionally we go looking for the evidence to make our case yep 
And what we sometimes, or not sometimes, what we have to do as salespeople is when we're appraising a property, we have to go out with no expectations to begin with and start seeing where the evidence where the evidence takes us mm-hmm. and I, I remember I remember that happening <laughs> to you and, and and you saying to me that you learned the lesson one of the things you'll always do now even though you look in a certain radius in a certain time frame you're also going to look at every house in that in that particular yeah, street especially yeah, in the street in yeah. the street I, yeah. I, I know remember doing I don't remember that particular case but yeah, because you, you can have something that might have sold a year ago in the street and you haven't searched back that far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sold for a good price. And that's something you know where they're at with it. So you And got, every seller in that street's going to know what that sold for. Yeah. Even if it was three years ago, mm. they're going to know and they're, they're going <clears> to <throat> make decisions around their expectations mm. on what that particular house did as well. Yes. Yeah. So I think that that's that's important for our listeners as well is is ensuring what is your process around that evidence so that when you are first of all presenting pricing in your listing presentation, you're not going to be caught off guard. Yep. Yeah, because if if another agent comes out and goes, say that house there sold in your street for this cracker price, it was a year ago, mm-hmm. and you're not bringing it up, then yep. you know you're looking like you're you know you're not confident that's together which once again yeah. that cognitive trust yeah. you just it's chipping away and and people will like you they'll want to deal with you but at the end of the day in this sort of market sellers are far more selective around what agent that they're going to partner up with yeah. and they're going to want to make sure that you know you are the the agent to get the best price out of the market yeah. and if you if little things like that can get will get you unstuck in a presentation oh, 100% yeah absolutely. absolutely so let's look at some some specific objections here chris and see where where they take us um so look um Imagine in this scenario, you've given me, a, you know, you've said list the house at nine hundred and fifty thousand. Let's just let's just say that's yep. the scenario, <clears throat> and I've gone look, you know, we'd be fine with nine hundred and fifty, but I'd rather list it over the million dollar mark and and allow allow room for negotiation. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Like you know, you can always come down as you know in that regard. But when do you think the best time to sell a property is, Adam? I don't know. I don't know. Like the first, the first month. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at a property and you like it and you see it's been on the market for a week, mm-hmm. um, what are your thoughts on price for it? You're probably thinking you're gonna. You're gonna have to pay close to what they're asking yeah. if I'm gonna secure yeah. it within a week. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so most you know most interest you would say on a property will happen early. Yes. Yeah. So they say now it's about 48 hours for everyone to see it online. Yeah, it is quick. So, and that's when all the interest's happening. So the, what you gotta be careful of there is you wanna put it over a million, mm-hmm. the buyer's gonna look at it and they're gonna go, oh, look at this, but you might miss them. Yes. And that's where you just gotta be really careful. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned, you know, we can always negotiate. You don't need to negotiate early. We've got the price right. We'll hit the price or we'll attract multiple buyers yes. and we'll go over the price. Yes. So very, very small chance that you can undersell the property. Yeah. Because it's early. If we're doing this later, yeah, we're gonna do some negotiating and mm-hmm. often that might be down. Mm-hmm. And and Chris, what, what salespeople have to understand, especially especially those listening to this that have never had to operate in a balanced and a buyer's market, I- irrespective of the market, a well, like a listing priced close to or at market value is a rare thing. 
In this market, if you're operating in a balanced market, in a buyer's market, if you get your price right, you will attract buyers straight away. And and it's not it's not unheard of that you'll attract multiple buyers for that. The, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It's it's about getting it right more so in this market at the start. So you, 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 in that scenario, you just got to really make sure that they're aware of the danger of overpricing it. Overpricing it that um, early. You know, and if, if you know, again, you, you, you've got your range right, you know, and they want to try it, you know, the internal marketing's going to be the, the step that you really want to take them through that and, and show the importance of, okay, before we've gone live everywhere, this is what the team thought, this is what, you know, our databases, uh, the reaction we've got from it. Yes. Um, we, we might want to be careful before we launch. And what you've done just there, Chris, is well, we're talking objections, but you're 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 going through really that that closing formula as well there, because it's it's important when you're closing a seller or a buyer or a prospect or anyone is sometimes what you have to do is you've got to actually create the need, mm. present towards that need, and show them how how you can overcome overcome that need that they didn't know that they had. And so, yeah. in your saying there about about overpricing it early in the campaign what you're creating for them is is the possibility of of overpricing it in the most important time and the risk of doing that and so when you bring that that knowledge of that or that understanding to the table a smart seller is going to say well i don't want to do that right well let me show you the solution and 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 so taking them through that process you can't just come out and say oh well you'll undersell it if you overprice it. Well, hang on, that makes no sense. Yeah. Like, I'm pricing it high, how am I going to undersell it? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's taking them through that that process. Yeah, that's right. You know, the, the, if they've mentioned it, they're happy with 950, you know, so why do you want to run the risk of going under that? Because mm. if, if it sits on the market for too long, it might get tough to get 950. And exactly like that scenario you did uh, you did with your wife, Janelle, you know, what if what if we get 950 tomorrow? Even if we priced it at 1.1, mm. if we got a 950 offer, what would you do? Because yeah. then again, you're going to find out, is that actually the objection? Are they just trying to say, oh, we agree with you, but we want more? Yep. Or are they actually wanting more? Yep. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, Chris, we, look, we don't want to put a price on it. You know, the, I think one of the things that we saw in the seller's market a lot was agents getting away from advertising or giving a, a stated asking price. How do you handle sellers that say to you, we, we'd prefer not to put a price on it? Why, why do you not want to put a price on it? I guess I, I, guess I, don't, want to, I don't want to turn people off. Uh, off the property, or I want it, I want it to be open to to everyone, and that way we can see where where we're actually at in the market. Okay. Um, have you been looking at properties, Adam? Yeah, yeah, okay. I've, I've been a lot. All right. What do you think when you don't see a price on it? Um, look, sometimes. Sometimes I don't mind if, if I'm being honest with you. Sometimes I I've done my own research on it and I, and I've gone well. You know, based on what I've seen, I think that house is probably worth X. I'll go in and and, and have a look at it. Have you made offers on those houses? Well, no, no, no. we haven't. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, that's probably where most people are coming unstuck is uh, there's no price on there for a reason mm-hmm. that uh, an agent might be, you know know that they were a little bit above the market yes so they're, they're sort of putting no price and trying to bait people into it yes and that's where buyers are becoming really frustrated especially ones that have been making offers and they come in make an offer and it comes in way above their budget yeah um, price is a really important part of the marketing process because it tells us are we on the market 
or not. Mm-hmm. You know, like okay, we, you know, let's say the house in this scenario is worth seven hundred thousand. How? What do you think would happen if we put a million on it? Nothing. 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 No, because everyone's going to think, well, it doesn't look like a million dollar house. Mm-hmm. Um, if the properties we put a price on it, say, you know, even ten percent above its market value. Mm-hmm. Same sort of thing's going to happen, mm-hmm. which tells us something. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to run the risk of not having a price on the property and missing out on knowing what's going on. Yes. Because price tells us a lot. Yes. Price is right. Buyers will come. People will buy it. They will. they will. There's, there's two prices in this market, or in any market, the right price and the wrong price. Mm-hmm. And without a price on it, you're running the risk of not knowing where you're at. That's exactly right. And with not putting a price on it, you attract both of those types of buyers as well, the right buyers and the wrong buyers. Because yeah. you'll, a $700,000 property, mm. you'll attract plenty of people at five hundred wanting to buy the place. Yes. You're not going to attract anyone at the million. Mm. And that's the thing. They When that, when sellers say this to agents, we want it to open it up and, and, and see what the market thinks. The majority of that market is, is going to think less, less than what you want. Yeah, yeah. 100%. It's, um, yeah. you know, I think a lot of agents have got away with it in the good market and then selling you know with offers over you know selling offers over you know selling it yep. above that because yep. the market was just so frenzied and, and that's and the, the big buyers expectations were genuinely above in a lot of cases the sellers expectations yep. Yep. they were and yep. that was the, the big difference like we focused a lot on within our group is the you know big difference between high price everyone selling for a high price mm-hmm. and the highest price yes so I always think a good line in there, Chris, as well, is discussing with sellers, if you're going to make an offer on a property that has no price, is that going to encourage you to make a higher offer or a lower offer? Yeah. And and I can talk about that from personal experience. That My wife and I years ago bought a property to renovate and um, we thought it was worth around 600000 and our first offer was five forty. And it was that our, the only reason our offer was five forty or five forty five, I think it was, was to get a gauge of what the sellers, and then the agent turned around and said, "Oh, well, they won't take anything less than five sixty-five. Mm. Happy days, yeah. thirty-five grand less than what we were what we were willing to pay for it at the time." Yeah. So, um, I think that's a good scenario. I, I liked how you took me through my scenario at the beginning of that as a buyer and how I feel about that process mm. because, yeah, putting that that role reversal yeah. that we speak about is always always really good there. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think with the listing presentation the way it is now, you have a good discussion about price no price and price and mm-hmm. on that page so it, it's something which you don't tend to get that objection a lot at that point because you sort of explain it and show the importance of it through there yes so yeah it'd be more in a, a you know a more if you hadn't done a presentation i'd imagine yeah you get that that pushback and that's the thing yeah. like and you know that that listing presentation we call it the effective and the successful listing presentation and the reason we call it that it's effective yeah. in getting the sellers mm. to to buy into the concept that mm. is the smart sale yeah. and it's successful because it gets the signature at the end yeah. it's a fantastic toolbox yeah. for you to be able to mm. take into the lounge room and and deal with any and all of these sort of objections because yeah. you sort of like I say, I can't say I've come across that objection very often yep. uh, since we've been using this kit because right. you've, yes. you've, you've sort of led them to understand the importance of pricing on that page. Fantastic, fantastic. All right. Let's jump, uh, let's jump into another one here. 
So, Chris, this next one, is it an objection, is it not? I, I don't know, but it's certainly a conversation that we're having in, in a lot of land rooms at the moment, and it's that seller. And it, it's funny, you said a word earlier, and, and I probably respectfully disagree with you a little bit there. Um, you actually said people are far more educated than, than they used to be. Um, how I like to say that is I think people are far more informed, yeah. but but not necessarily educated because they do, you know, that endowment effect, that belief in our own property, it still does, it still does change our view and our perspective a bit. And so you, you get this sort of question or this statement or versions of it a bit at the moment where it's like, look, I don't understand the price that you're saying. We, we would have got more for it last year and, and now you're saying we're going to get less. How, how, doesn't real estate always go up? Like, how, how does that work? So these are some of the, the sometimes you need to explain that, that a bit. So, yeah, look, look, real estate always does go up, you know, in the long term. Mm-hmm. But you have little dips in the market. And, you know, traditionally after a boom, there's always a, a bust, a correction of the market. And that's just where we're sitting at at the moment. Yes. So, yeah, for sure, you would have got more for it last year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you're certainly getting a lot more than you would have got two years ago at the moment. Yes. Is is the big thing. Um, but what it really comes down to, again, is where are you looking at going? Because mm-hmm. the market would have corrected itself there. And again, you're taking it straight back to that to that changeover again again with them as well. Yep. So you're taking them from that de- that doubt mm. of into into belief mode as yep. well. Yeah. Yep. It's um, one of the things we've released for members of, of the uh, of the winner's circle is uh, is a plan for called AAA August. So to be released um, for, for you as an agency to release next month. But it's funny you say that there because one of the things we encourage you to do is put a short clip of, of one of your salespeople or the principal on social media giving the example of, of exactly what you just said is even though a lot of people are saying the market has corrected a bit and it has let me tell you about this particular house that just sold for seven hundred thousand, yet two years ago sold for 480 yep. so even though the markets come back a little bit you're still well ahead of of where you were yep. and sometimes that's important as well isn't it? because sellers really stay want to feel like they're having a win yeah oh 100 Yep. It always amazes me how, you know, people are happy to sell at a high price and pay a, an exorbitantly high price at the other end. Yes. They're happy with that. Yes. But um, it doesn't make much difference with their changeover. No, you know, that's you, right. You sell at the bottom, you know, in a bad market and you buy in a bad market. You, you know, I remember doing it a few years ago and if we did it the right way around and if we didn't, we would have paid overpaid for it, but we ended up coming out of it well ahead of what we thought we would have. Yes. Yeah. Just um, and that was in a bad market, so yeah. it doesn't make much difference. And sometimes though, you've got to taking that time and understanding and asking good questions. You've got to understand the feelings and the emotions behind these objections because sometimes a seller, not as you say there, they'll sell for a high price, but then buy for a high price. They don't care because that's a bit of ego. <laughs> we paid $2 million for our house. We paid $3.5 million for our house. Sometimes that, that is, yeah. and people don't mind that. But the fear, on like the emotion on the other side is fear. No one wants to put their house on the market and sometimes even have to then reduce and, and have to accept them because... As you say, there's so much information around. All of that is is played out publicly now. Yep. Their friends, their peers, their their associates, they, they see all of that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. So we've got to we've got to understand. I, I think sometimes the emotion behind these objections as well. Yeah. Last one, Chris, and, and I, I've put this in because I, I remember how this played out a couple of years ago, and, and it, it's similar to the no price, but I, I just want to run through it with you. Um, look, what about an auction? You know, they, they seem to be getting good results irrespective of the market. Okay. So is an auction something you, you're thinking of doing? Yeah, I mean, what? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because you think the price could be better? Like, um, Maybe. I, I, look... Price might be a thing. It's probably more the fact that it's a better chance of success is is probably yep. where where we're we're most attracted to okay. it. Um, look, we've we've just been in a big boom. Mm-hmm. Um, what's created that boom? Um, I guess a lot of buyers. Yeah, yeah. A, a heavy demand for for properties. Yes, um, and that's put pressure on prices to push them up. Yes. Um, the problem with when you look at an auction is when you put auction conditions on a property, uh, it can actually turn a good market into a bad market Okay. because you eliminate a lot of buyers. So let's say you're in a position to buy at an auction now. So no finance, 10% deposit down. No, no, we no, couldn't do that. Not, not unless you took a great risk of you know bridging and all yeah, of that. So. Yeah. Okay. So, so probably unlikely we, 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 yeah, we wouldn't personally no. probably buy at an auction, no. And, and look, majority of people are like that. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing is you're creating a big buyer pool that you've got at the moment, mm-hmm. you put auction conditions on it and you shrink it. Yes, okay. So can you explain to me how that could get you a high price? Yeah, okay. And so yeah. And that and Chris, that's exactly where you took me a few years ago and I remember that. I think it's a really important point to make is that that even though auctions may be having success in in quotation marks there um, that success is not necessarily around price it's around a sold sticker on the side exactly right and and getting the seller to yeah. to understand what their definition and what type of success that they're looking yeah. for yeah. and and you know like I have always said to my sellers that you know when you look at I mean you can never say an auction will never get you the highest price because on the odd occasion it might mm-hmm but you're playing an odds game here. Yep. And you know, do you want a 1% chance of getting a cracker price or do you want a 99% chance of getting a cracker price? Yes. So that's what I'm interested in is guaranteeing the odds in your favour. Yeah. And and not, I would look at all the auction sales and if I'm showing that this one sold auction, I would say I can guarantee this one undersold. Yep. Because I, I know there would have been other buyers out there that would have been, would have paid more mm-hmm. if they didn't have the auction condition on it. It's funny, just you know, anecdotally, but um, Gary Pittard was was at an auction recently, bidding on on behalf of, of some friends of his, and which he does on occasion. So, what's your maximum? So, and 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 goes in for them. Yet, um, in this particular instance, they they were one of the underbidders, and, and someone else bought the property. And Gary just casually walked up to them, you know, congratulations on getting the house. Thanks. Just out of interest, would you've paid much more? And they they said without hesitation, oh, heaps more. So you know. Just, just a, like, and although that's an anecdote, or that that is a scenario or a conversation that would play out at again quotation mark successful auction campaigns yep. all across all across there. And there's a great line there: what auctions are always guaranteed to deliver is show you who the highest bidder is, yep. but not the highest price. That's right. Yeah. So. I think that's a good one there. Something else that you're doing as we're talking here, Chris, we we speak internally about a seller's market, a buyer's market, a balanced market, because that terminology allows us that that 
control of the market and knowing, well, in a seller's market, we've got to pull these levers in a buyer's market. Yeah. Yet in these scenarios, you, you are using the term booms and busts. Is, is that something you use um, with with sellers? Probably, yeah. Yep. I'd say if I'm using it now, I haven't really thought about it. But, yep. um because that's terminology yeah. they understand. Yeah. Like there's, yeah, sometimes if you're layering on sellers and buyers, you know, what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. Whereas, you know, they think a buyer's market might be a good thing. Oh, there's a lot of buyers around. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah, so so that boom and bust. So I was just interested is whether you're a bit more colloquial with, with your sellers yeah. for, for helping that understanding. Mm. Yeah, okay, all right. Let's talk about some objections with buyers that, that we might sure. get, Chris. So. Um, you know, one one that we actually had, we, we recently did Winning Ways over in Auckland and, and Adam Smith from Iron Bridge actually gave me a version of this, but just uh, buy saying something along the lines of, look, we're, we're just looking at the moment, but um, we're waiting to see if prices fall any further. So so Adam was asking about how do we instill a sense of urgency into, into those buyers? It, it's probably just qualifying a bit more to find out, are they just looking at the moment? Mm -hmm. Whether they're, you know, if, are they a genuine buyer? Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, look, if, if the right house came up right now, what would you do? Yes. Yep. And we think about that right buyer checklist in, in winning ways. Yep. One of them is, is that sense of urgency, yep. if, if they've actually got it or not. Yep. Yeah. So, again, we come back to spending that time with the wrong people. Yep. So. Oh, 100%. Because, yeah, a lot of them will be out there just sort of waiting to see what happens. They're not going to buy now. Mm-hmm. So, because they think the prices are going to fall. Yep. So they're just sitting on their hands and waiting. Yeah. And that that and that's fine. Those buyers exist in any market. They're 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 a, they're a speculation buyer, and any market needs that sort of thing. But again, you've got to. You've said a few times in different contests, you've got to put the odds in your favour. Mm. You've got to put your odds in your favour as a salesperson. Mm. You spend more time with the right buyers, you're going to make more sales. Yeah. 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 You know, and again, you can sort of say, well, how do you know prices are going to fall? Mm. You know, remember what they were saying when COVID broke out? Yeah, bringing, bringing that back to their attention. Mm. I love how many commentators there are now saying that they predicted this massive price <laughs> growth. I, I don't know where any of them were in May 2019, but I mean, sorry, May 2020, but I don't remember reading too much of that. No, no, I think if anyone had actually said that, you would think they were crazy. They were a lunatic, yes, I yes. told both of my kids not to buy. <laughs> Did you? In 2020, it's going to fall. <laughs> Luckily, they didn't listen to me. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, well, that is so good. That is good. Bought. Well done, then. Yes. Well done, then. <laughs> the real estate expert. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, in a similar vein to that, though, on the next one, look, we want to make an offer, but we want it to be a low offer because we want to allow for any any price falls that are, that are likely to come. So how would you handle something like that? Okay, look, you know, do you want to buy the house? I mean, it, it, for the right price, we do. For the yeah. right price, okay. Yeah. I mean, look, you can come in low, but the, the, the thing you got to be careful of there is, um, look, at the moment, you're not competing with anyone else. Mm -hmm. So you come in with a low offer, you might offend the seller. Yes. The door's going to be open for a while. Yes. What if another buyer gets involved in the process mm -hmm. and you get pushed into a, into a competing with them? Yeah. Um, that seller might want to deal with you. Yeah. Because you've offended them. So just be careful with coming in low yeah you know because it's you know you don't want to offend the seller yeah nothing wrong with a bit of role reversal is there in a, in a negotiation having them understand how how yep. their actions might be perceived by the other party yep. often you get buyers especially like a lot of first home buyers you know they get advice from parents so come in low do this and you know they, they're just giving them those advice. real estate experts that our parents are that, that's it that's it um 
they're just giving them advice to try and protect them and yes. you know, not have them overpaying, but yeah, just trying to let them understand that, you know, how would you feel if somebody made an offer like that on your place? Yeah. And again, again, explaining to the buyer your role as the agent is to help them secure this property, yep. help them buy yep. this property, but your job's not to help them steal it and get a bargain. That's yep. that's not your job, but you can really help them yep. do put their best foot forward um, that they, they're comfortable with, they can afford, yep. but helps them put their best foot forward. Yeah, and probably the other thing would be explore, well, you know, how, how low are you talking here? Mm-hmm. And that, that's, Chris, that's actually a really good point because it might be low in relation to what they're asking, but not low in relation to market value. I think that's a very, a very yep. good point. Yep. And, and, you know, again, exploring how did you come up with that price? Mm-hmm. Is yep. it just to allow for falls or? Yeah. Or is it actually where they perceive market value? Yeah. Yep. And that's a line I've always carried with me throughout my sales career is your job as a, as a professional salesperson is not to encourage offers. That's not your job. But at the same time, it's also not to discourage offers either. Yep. Your, your job is not to make decisions on behalf of the seller. It's to present, negotiate, and then leave that final decision up to the seller. Yep. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's like the market that we're coming into now. It's, you know, if you're looking, if there's some interest in the property and, you know, it's there, like, is it the price? Hmm. Is that what's holding you back? Yeah. And if it is, you know, well... You know, how much too much do you think? Yeah, that's always a great question. Yeah. Do you think the property is too much? Yeah, we do actually. How much too much do you think it is? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and give them some hope that they can buy it, but you're not putting a price in their head. That's exactly right. Still, but yeah, it's really important because, you know, it's it's rarer that a buyer rings you up and says, oh, I want to make an offer on that property now mm-hmm. compared to where we were. That's exactly right. Like, you know, turn up at the property, bring a contract with you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. And again, it's just those different skills, those different understandings. And we've got to we've got to have that different understanding of what's happening in each of the parties' minds now. They've gone from a fear of overpaying last year, mm. uh, sorry, a fear of a fear of missing out last year, to now a fear of of overpaying, overpaying. On, on a property. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, actually. Um, Kyle Raven gave me that one recently at a winning ways. He's gone, they've gone from a FOMO to a FOPO. So fear of missing out, fear of paying over. Yeah. So we've got a lot of buyers at the moment suffering from FOPO. Yeah. So um, so that's a really good one from Kyle. I won't take credit for that. Um, last one on buyers. Um, look, we're gonna make a number of offers on different properties and see which one gets accepted. How, how would you tackle something like that, Chris? Okay, so are you interested in making an offer on this one? Yeah, 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 yep, yep, yep. along okay. with a few others. Yep. Okay, so is this your pick? Of, of all of them? Yep. Um, it's, it's certainly up there. Yeah, okay, yep. all right. So how would you feel if you miss out on this one? And, and oh, the other oh, one you get and you look back? Yeah, okay, so you, you're trying to inject some emotion. You, they're, they're tra- so that, that's a really good there. I'm trying to th- throw a bit of indifference at you, and you're just trying to explore how genuine that, that indifference is there. Yeah. Okay, so, well, let's continue to play that out there. So let's let's just say I am I am indifferent about it. So, well, you know, if we miss out on it, you know, so be it. This property's a stepping stone for us. We're only here for two or three years, and okay. then we're moving on anyway. Yeah. So probably, in all fairness, it's the nicer of the three, but yeah. if we miss out, we miss out. Okay. Well, you know, look, that's that's your call. Again, I can't make a call for the owner. Mm-hmm. We'll just see where it goes and and explore it from there. Yep. Um, what it, sort it, of insistence would you put upon a buyer who was making multiple offers 
What about what, what? What's the risk of if two of the offers were accepted? How would you ensure that your sellers are protected in that scenario? What do you mean, two offers? So, say they're putting offers on multiple properties, and yep. they they and they're just showing verbal offers out there. And you turn around and you say, "Look, your offer's been accepted. Come put a contract on it." Oh well, no, another one's been accepted as well. We're just going to think about it. Mm. How would you sort of anticipate and then protect your sellers from that? Um, well, for starters, you're doing it all in writing. So if you got the offer accepted, it'd be... So you'd ensure that any offer is I mean, obviously in Queensland, it's... Yes. No, no, but in, 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 every, in every state, you can you can ensure that there's there's yep. a letter of offer that, that's guaranteed to, to be preceded, uh, to be followed, sorry, yep. preceded by a contract. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because yeah, I think you, if you're doing it verbally, you're getting yourself in a, a lot of trouble just from your own point of view. Yeah. And, and obviously for your seller, so... Yeah. I think I think that's a it's a really key point for people as well. Again, we come back to that right buyer checklist. Mm. Um, number five is cooperative, you yeah. know, and, and you've got to make sure that. And sometimes what we look for is we look for reasons in this particular instance. How do we go away from our process to get this result done? Where I believe we've always got to come back to how do we get this result in line with our process. Um, How do we make sure that this scenario is fitting within the railroad tracks of where we've put our sellers? And I I think that perspective is is interesting and and important to look at. Mm. Um, Rather than why should we deviate, the question is how do we not deviate? So I think written offers is a, is a great one on that. And let's finish up with, with some acceptance of offers as well, as well Chris. So um, let's, let's just look at a brutal one and see where this takes us. Look, we're, we're not going to take that offer. Okay. Um, why not? Why not? See, this is the problem with these hypotheticals is, is I'm the one doing all the work because <laughs> what, and I'm sure the listeners have, have gotten a hold of that. I like, I understand that. You're not overcoming objections to begin with. You're, you're asking me a lot of questions to, 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 to get, obviously you're gaining a better understanding. So is that what you've always trained your team to do? Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, it's like anything. Like it's, I think the biggest thing you see it happen was with fees. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody asks, uh, you know, oh, will you cut your fee? Yeah. Um, often it's just a question. Yes. And I've heard too many people straight away jump into a defense. Yes. Just ask, you know, why do you ask? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, just all we'd ask. Oh, it's good to ask. You know, like, you need to... But, yeah, find out, you know, why not? Like, what's... Again, where that offer is. It, That's it, right. It there's, there's a lot There's a lot going it, it on depends. in every scenario. It's, it's different. But, but you'll, you'll find out, you know, is is there a, a real reason why they won't accept it? Is it a condition that like we can't afford this? That we, we don't get this price, we, we, we can't move? Or, mm-hmm. And, and you need to get better understanding of it from there, or is it just a stubborn stance? Yeah. And that's the thing, if you're going to overcome an objection, you've got to make sure you're overcoming the real objection. Yes. That's, that's the first place that you've got to understand. Mm. And, and yeah, is in that particular case, we're not taking that offer. Is that because the offer's too low or they don't want to sell? Well, they don't want to sell to those buyers, or yeah. the the settlement is is the wrong period of time. There's all various yeah. things that you need to go in and you need to explore. Yeah. It, it could sort of almost relate back to that buyer that's you know making offers on multiple properties. Mm-hmm. You know, the offers they don't want to negotiate with them, so you got to be careful how you handle that with your seller. Yeah, because they might feel bugging them, they can go buy the other one. Yeah, exactly. And then pride gets in the way. And yeah. that talk about you know, pride kills as many sales as solicitors do. I swear, yeah. it's they're the two biggest killers yeah. of all yeah. sales: <laughs> solicitors and pride yep. so yep. yes it's you know again 
bit of role reversal with them if they're worried about you know the offer's too low. Well, you know, if you're buying it, would you come in with a high price straight away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what have they done in the past? Give everyone get an a bit of perspective. Yeah. Well, let, let's continue in that in that similar scenario. Like, okay, we'll we'll negotiate, but we'll we'll countersign at the asking price. Okay. So, let, and let's just say let, let's throw some context in here and see where it takes us. Let's say we're back at that scenario. We've got that that one point one million dollar ask, and we've got a nine hundred and fifty thousand dollar offer. Okay, we'll negotiate, but we're going to go back at one one. What would you? Where would you take me in that sort of scenario? Yep. Look, Adam, by all means, you can countersign wherever you want. This is your property. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you just got to be careful. Sometimes, if you're not going to give anything there, the buyer might pull out and walk away. So, how would you feel if that happened? I don't want to lose them. You don't want to lose them? Okay. Well, I'd be careful Okay. with this because you might, what you're saying is I'm not negotiating at all. Okay. That asking price. Right. So that, okay, and you're giving the seller some context of coming back and asking isn't negotiating. It's it's basically saying no, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Uh, if they were like, um, well, well, I don't care to lose them. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, I know 950 seems a little bit you know, a bit away from where you're asking. I can understand where you're coming with that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, w- what if the offer was halfway between where we're at now? Okay, yeah. You know, just explore them with that. I, and the last sale I made was very similar to that where um, he wanted to beat asking price. So it was 930, I think it was listed for, and the offer was 870. Mm-hmm. And he's like, just wasn't taken. Said, no, no, we'll just stick at our asking price. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And I sort of said, well, what if it was nine hundred? What would you do? Oh, it was nine hundred. And it was a different story. Yes. Byron, they paid nine twenty for it. Right. Yes. So it ended up a good scenario. But just, you know, if I went back at nine, at the asking price straight yeah. away, you know, might have might have lost them. And I, I just think Chris, just just here, even even in your your tone and the way you're coming at it, you're not being combative, you're not being argumentative, you're, you're just asking questions. And it's that it's that great line that we speak about, like your role in this, my job's to give you advice, it's not to tell you what to do. And I think, I think for our listeners, you're demonstrating that really well. You're not telling them, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, that's madness. You're not, you're not putting any finality on anything, you're simply saying, Here's the risk that you're running. Here's the perspective that I want to offer you about what you're, what you're saying to me. Yeah, it's, you know, the biggest thing I learned about negotiation when I first started and everything I studied on it was, I, I, when I first came in, I thought to be a good negotiator to be hard, tough and pushy, but nothing's further from the truth. It's, it's about leading people. Yes. It's about educating them. Like, you know, and again, the biggest thing I say in a cementing of the sale is my job isn't to tell you what to do. It's just to give you as much evidence to help you make an informed decision so that you get the most you can get out of it. And and just when you're in a negotiation, it's, yeah, we want to do this. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it takes the pressure off them. Yep. And then you talk about the scenarios that could happen from there. That's a, it's a really good point, Chris, because you don't need to apply any pressure to the sellers because they're already under enough pressure, enough stress. Yeah. So you're actually looking at your role is actually to to relieve some of that pressure, yeah. and you're doing that by saying, "Hey, I'm on your side. Whatever you decide to do, I'm with you. I'm with you." Yeah. All yeah. The way. If you come at them and sort of say, "Oh, you count back at that, you're going to lose the buyer," and you know that's uh, 
you know, what's happening there? The pride's getting involved. They're folding their arms. <laughs> they're, they're shutting up shop. Yeah. But uh, you know, just let them let them know. You can do whatever you want. It's your house. Yeah. And again, I, I just think for some context on that, Chris, you, you've been in the lounge room listing and, and working with sellers, as you said, since 2005. Yes. So, so hanging up hanging up your um, your hat recently, you're talking a 17 career as a, as a real estate salesperson and leader. Yeah. Um, and throughout that time, historically, you, you've averaged about an 80 to an 85% list to sell ratio. Yeah. So regardless of the market, you, and you've, you've seen all sorts of markets in that time, you've consistently had eight to nine out of 10 of your sellers follow your advice, accept offers, get a sold sticker on their, on their sign and move on. And, and I think this tone and this style that you bring to the table is a big, a big factor. And then I think a good, good for all of us to, 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 to take that away from it as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. All right. Mate, let, let's wrap up there. I, I think I, you know, I want to say on behalf of everyone, thank you so much for, for your time this morning and going through this. I think, you know, there, of course, there's so many scenarios we can cover, but I think there's a lot of big rocks there that we can take away and apply to a variety. But I, I think the biggest one, obviously, is, is that questioning and that attitude that you're coming, coming towards, that, towards those objections. Yeah. Yeah. So, mate, thank you, thank you so very much for your time on behalf of no all worries. of us, and uh, and all the very best with with your new role as well. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. And as always, to round out the podcast, we just want to go through who's coming up for us on the Winner's Circle Hotline, and what seminars have we got for the back end of this year that is 2022. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please do subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. We release these episodes once a month and we're able to go through topics like we've covered off today with a new guest every single month. But if you need help with anything specific, any troubles that you're going through or result you can't get over the line at the moment, give the Winner Circle hotline a call and you're gonna be able to talk to some great leaders from around the country to help you sort of get that listing over the line, get that negotiation put together, or help with some of your own objections that perhaps we haven't, uh, we haven't covered in today's episode. But coming up over the next month, we've got the likes of Jeff Cannon, Andrew Kerr, Chris Pisani, who's joined us today, and Gary Nash, all available to you on the Winner Circle Hotline. To call the hotline, use the phone number you've got in your office or alternatively jump on thewinnerscircle.realestate and hit the call now button. But coming up for the end of the year, we just want to mention a couple of seminars that are coming your way and something that you might want to look at attending with either yourself or your entire team. So first of all, we've got the Agency Profit System in Melbourne this week, actually. So it started a couple of days ago on the 18th and finishes up on the 22nd of July. We've then got Winning Ways in Brisbane from the 22nd to the 24th of August. If you haven't seen Winning Ways yet this year, jump on a plane if you're not local or come down to Brisbane and spend three days because we've got that seminar completely focused on the buyers and the balanced market that our members are dealing with at the moment. And there's some great content to help you get plenty of results in your market today. So that's Winning Ways at Brisbane from the 22nd to the 24th of August. 
We've also got coming up in September, the Winner's Circle Workshop. Now this workshop is actually gonna be um, the 2022 version of the program that some of you might know, how to get your listings sold. So this is a great program that we've been doing in different versions since actually the late 90s, yet it's been completely updated and rejigged for the 2022 market that you're working in at the moment. And this is a special workshop because we've also got Kate Kilner from Kate Kilner Real Estate in the Northern Territory joining us for, for that workshop tour as well. And Kate's gonna be doing a specific keynote around developing trust with your sellers and developing relationship with your sellers, but she's also gonna be answering your questions around seller coaching in this market. So the workshop is actually gonna be three sessions this time around, and we'll pro be providing a, a small lunch for you as well at the workshops. So that's coming to Hobart on September 12th, Melbourne on September 13th, Sydney, September 14th, and Brisbane on September 15th. So it's a nine o'clock start, but with those three sessions as well, so, so be mindful of that with your planning. We've also got a, the last viewing of the agency profit system for 2022. That's happening on the Gold Coast from the 10th to the 14th of October. So a great week to be had there. And then we round out the year with our annual convention. So in Sydney from the 21st to the 23rd of November, a very exciting convention this year, two of our three days. We've got Jeb Blunt, author of great books such as Fanatical Prospecting, Objections, Inked, people buy you, people follow you, the list goes on. Jeb's gonna be spending two full days with us at the convention talking about sales skills for 2022 and beyond. Uh, don't, all, don't forget also about joining us for the, uh, the Australasian Real Estate Awards, which is on the Tuesday night. It's gonna be a fantastic night uh, with, with great acknowledgement of last year's winners as well, who weren't able to grace the stage due to, uh, due to issues with COVID. So we'll have, we'll have all of this year's winners, plus an acknowledgement of last year's winners all on that night. So some great stuff happening at the back end of this year to help you make sure you're getting the most out of the market that you find yourself operating in. Until next month, thanks for listening. Ooh, oh.